Everybody is adjusting back to school life and school schedules. The kids are probably not. The parents are probably are a little better. But I hope everyone is excited to be here this morning. Now today, uh, we will be picking up literally mid-sentence from where we kind of left off last week. Uh, we will be discussing how being filled with the Spirit and how that pours out into various ways. That's what we discussed last week. And today, again, like I said, we are picking up right in the middle of a thought, right in the middle of a sentence. So, because of that, we are going to consider last week the intro to this week. And if you're going to be here next week, you can definitely consider this week the intro for next week and the sermon series to follow over marriage. But if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you've not already turned there, Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, but we will be camping out in verse 21 at the end of that sentence. Now, here's the thing. If you were using a real Bible, a.k.a. the ESV, the only real Bible that it, I'm kidding. But if you are using the ESV and a lot of other versions, there is a comma there, not a period, right before the word submitting. Some versions, depending on what it is, have verse 21 as a standalone sentence, kind of even a standalone paragraph saying submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I do not think that your version is wrong, quote, unquote. I do think it is more correct to be understood as a comma. You see, there is no punctuation in the original text, in the original languages. So a lot of times, the punctuation are just the translator's best guesses. It's pretty obvious in almost all cases kind of where the punctuation, as far as translating it to English, would go. But some versions have it one way, and some versions have it another. And it is not unanimous with biblical scholars or biblical theologians as to which way is correct. Now, you may be asking the question right now, why is this guy just jumping right in talking about commas and periods and punctuation? And I have a picture to show you why. Because it saves lives. Let's eat, Grandma. Or let's eat, Grandma. Punctuation does matter in some cases. Now, I, don't, I hope this is not a real-life case. Most things you read on the Internet aren't anymore. But in this case, I do think it is important to understand that this is Paul's way and ultimately God's way through Paul speaking to us to show us that this particular command, this submitting to one another, is a caveat, is an extension, is a continuation of the thought of being filled with the Holy Spirit. He is saying here, you will not do this if you are not filled with the Spirit. No one just wakes up, can't wait to submit today. It is going to be awesome submitting to people today or submitting to things today without the leading, prodding, and just downright authority of the Holy Spirit making us do this in many cases. We're simply not going to, and our flesh is going to battle against it. It is going to push back against this command. It is going to push back with temptation after temptation to push us away from following this command. And I use the word command there purposely. This doesn't say try to submit. This doesn't say make your best effort to submit. Obviously, we're not going to do any commands in Scripture perfectly, so we are making our best effort. I get that. But it is commanding us, not suggesting to us that we do this. And this is important for this week 
It's going to be highly important for next week, if you've read ahead just one verse, as to understand that if you look at these commands in Scripture, this one, next week, the next week, the next week, and definitely the next week, and you look at it and you go, I'm not doing that. You are sinning. There's no, that's a period. There's no comma there. It is sin to look at these commands and just refuse to do them. But without the Holy Spirit filling our lives, we're not going to carry them out. Now, a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon. We were in the library about corrupting talk and words we shouldn't use and things like that. If you listen to the culture, you would think I'm talking about one of those today. You would think the S word is submit because the culture does not want to preach this. The culture is not discipling us in submission. They think it is a dirty word in American culture to tell someone they are called to submit to anyone or anything else outside of their own free will is telling them their liberty is being reduced. To tell them they must submit is to tell them their autonomy is being rejected. To tell them they must submit to anyone or anything is to limit their freedom. And basically, it means you hate them in American culture. This is what they will tell you. You cannot speak about these things. And we, we look at it right here in this moment and we think, yeah, those sinners. But let's be really honest for a second. None of us are looking at this text and going, Woohoo! I can't wait to carry this out and submit my will to somebody else's and to put my preferences aside. We claim to be separated from society in many ways. We claim that we try and do and want to live counterculturally. But when it comes to submission, that's just not a fight we want to fight. We want to fit in to culture when we don't want to submit. By the way, quick side note, this is just ner- me being a nerd every once in a while. But the word in the root Latin form of culture is the exact same root Latin word for cult. I just found that incredibly interesting. The word cult is used to describe people that are outside of the box, off the map, out of the mainstream, in the minority. Cults are notorious for brainwashing people and making them behave in ways that they normally wouldn't. Isn't that what culture is doing? Isn't that what American culture is doing? Being in a cult is considered bad. Fitting into culture is considered good. You draw your own conclusions as to which one is more dangerous. You draw your own conclusions as to which one I'm a little more scared of. And the only reason I mention that is that if we were to truly carry out this command of mutual submission, we are going to stick out. We're going to look more like a cult than we are a culture. We are going to stand in stark contrast to the American culture. We will look much differently, and that's a good thing in this case. We want to look countercultural. We not necessarily like a cult in the traditional sense, but we absolutely want to stand out from culture. Now, as a, as a pastor... Uh, you are called to exegete, interpret a passage. You're called to, to work out the, the, the words. But I didn't tell her to do this, but Hannah's prayer was spot on. This is a pretty obvious scripture. I don't have to tell you, well, it might mean this and it might mean that. The comma discussion we just had is literally the most debatable part of this text as to whether it's a sentence or whether it's a comma. It's straightforward. It says what it says. There are really no other ways to take it. You may be reading a version of the Bible that says, be subject to one another, 
here the word, I'm not saying the wording is exactly the same. Every word has a different connotation as we will discuss. But either wording there is fine and it means the same thing. And it's easy to understand. It is not easy to carry out. It is not easy to apply. You see, I think we would all agree that the word submit to anything, doesn't matter what you follow that with, has a negative connotation. You see, the definition of the word submit is to yield to, to arrange yourself under something or someone. One definition that I looked up even had the word unwillingly in it. And one layman explanation, it said, what, is the, what does it mean to submit to someone? It says that you are no longer able to do what you want to do. No one in here is joyful over that, to hear that. If, that. if that's your day, you can't do what you want to do, you are unwillingly yielding to or arranging yourself under, it has a negative connotation. Definitions are not necessarily positive and negative in and of themselves. It's the connotation that makes them positive and negative. It's what feeling is invoked. That's what connotation means. It's what we hear the word, we think or feel this about that word. So as we discuss submission, we have all kinds of feelings about it because we can think of all kinds of examples. Submit to a drug test. If you're applying for a job in many ways or if you are a friend of mine at work, if you know what I mean, they submit to weekly drug tests. It's never pleasant. They're never like, yes, let's do this. You submit papers online or in classes. Again, class usually a negative connotation when you pay a bill online what's the button you click at the bottom submit and because they know it's a negative connotation they always go are you sure you sure you want to give us your money and I always want to say no but also realize that I can't say no even though I don't want to do that UFC fans anybody anybody watch UFC at all in here it's losing popularity like it's like four people normally it'd be everybody but what is it called when a fighter gets in such a mess that he's like, uh, could you just let go of me, please? Like, any, like I'm just going to tell you to stop, and you have to stop. These are the rules of the UFC. What is that called? A submission. I've also seen people refuse to tap because they're stubborn, and they get their arms snapped in half, or they stop breathing. That's called stupid. All right, so the thing is, though, is there's not a lot of inspiring stories about submission. I Googled that this week. As I was studying on the internet yesterday, YouTube ads, my favorite, one of them popped up, and for once it worked. I watched the whole thing. There's a sequel coming out to the movie Unbroken. Anybody remember that movie just three, two, three, four years ago? There's a sequel coming out about what happened after he made it home. First of all, looks great. I don't know if it will be or not, but if you remember the first one, though, the story, in short, a guy gets captured in World War II, he becomes a POW, he refuses to submit. He refuses to do what the guards tell him to do. He refuses to just be a prisoner and do just fall into line and hopefully we'll make it through this. And ultimately it was his refusal to submit that saved his life, that got him through all of this. It was what got him home and a bunch of his friends home, a bunch of his, his buddies home. There are lots of stories about not submitting. Ain't no movies being made if that guy just went there, okay, whatever, and got killed in concentration camp. There's no movie made about that guy. There's a movie made about the refusal to submit, the refusal to go with the flow. So with that in mind, I want us to think about, is this verse telling us to do what the definition of submit is telling us to do? 
Is it telling us to yield to one another? Is it telling us to arrange ourselves under other people? To arrange ourselves under one another? Is that the correct rendering of this passage? Is that a good working definition as we say this word over and over today, submit and submission? Is that a good working definition? Because if it is, then we've got next week to look at as well. And how, how does that play out in marriage? And here's, here's what I want to tell you. I'm not here to redefine the word submission or submit. It means what it means, and my answer to that question is yes. It is a correct rendering of the word. That is a good working definition of the word. Yes, we are to yield ourselves to one another. Yes, we are to arrange ourselves under one another. All of that is correct. All of that is true. My goal here today is not to redefine the word. It is to re college word here, reconnote the word, to give a different connotation. When we hear the word, we don't think of uh, submitting, submission. I don't really want to do that, but I guess I have to. I want us to go, amen. I want to submit because this is what God has called me to do. I want the meaning of the word to stay the exact same because that is what it is commanding us to do. I want the connotation of the word to change to where something we, from, from something we unwillingly do to something we willingly and joyfully set our minds to doing in our everyday lives. So now that we know that we have our working definition, we can ask the obvious questions. I'm only going to answer two today. How do we do this? And why do we do this? Those are the only two questions that we are really going to cover today. The first thing we have to remember is this, again, is a continuation of being filled with the Spirit. We must follow the lead of Him, Him being the Holy Spirit, in order to have any hope of carrying this out. You can scour the Scriptures as much as you want, and I would encourage you to do that just because, but you will never find a verse of the Spirit doing anything for His own good or a self-serving purpose. It is always in submission to God the Father and God the Son and doing it for their glory, submitting, willingly submitting to them. The Spirit Himself is never self-serving. So therefore, one filled with that Spirit should emulate Him should be like Him, should follow His lead by also never being self-serving in our relationships with others. See, this is by design. We are filled with the Holy Spirit individually. I can't do anything to fill you with the Holy Spirit because that's salvation that is wholly a work of God to do. I can't really do that for myself either, but it happens to individuals. It happens to a person. The Spirit fills a person but we were never meant to experience that or navigate that individualistically to go a uh, rogue christian and go do this on our own i'm filled with the spirit i'm good to go i'm going to go do this by myself we are called to do this in community if god ex exists in perfect harmony and perfect community then why would those filled with god not be called then to exist and try to make it perfect harmony and perfect community why would we not be called to strive to do what he's been doing for all eternity with himself 
So if we are commanded to follow this lead in mutual service, mutual submission, mutual servitude, mutual respect, mutual honor, if we are commanded to do those things, how do we do it? We all must do this. We all must mutually serve, mutually honor, mutually submit. Now, one quick side note or caveat here. This does not negate clear and obvious scriptures that are found elsewhere. Clear and obvious hierarchies in scripture. We will discuss a little bit of those in the coming weeks. But this is, this is not saying that everyone submits in the same way or the same uh, form as everyone else. It is putting aside your own wants, putting aside your own, aside your own desires, your own preferences in favor of others for their good and for God's glory. You see, next week we'll talk about wives and husbands. I'm not even breaching the subject today. One, because I don't want to, and two, because you'll hear about it next week. But Paul goes on to make sure first, before he jumps into that, because let's be honest, it was going to be controversial then. It's definitely controversial in 2018 to even say, wives, submit to your husbands, and yet here it is. But he wanted to make sure before he jumped into that end of the pool to go, but first, this is a call to all Christians. This is a call. If you follow Jesus, this is your call. Submission to one another. Now, again, it applies to husbands in a different way than it applies to wives. It applies to kids in a different way than it applies to moms and dads. It applies to employees. The application we'll get to in the next weeks. It may be different, but it is the call to every single solitary Christian that walks this planet. Romans 12, 9 and 10, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is the call of all Christians. This should be the goal of all Christians. I'm going to outdo one another. I'm going to outserve. I'm going to out-honor. I'm going to out-subject myself in favor of their needs, their wants, their desires, their preferences, in order to glorify God most. We should make it our goal to do this. Ligon Duncan describes what Paul is saying this way. The Apostle Paul is talking about self-denying, other-centered, mutual submission. He's talking about committing ourselves to the service of others. Paul mentions a version of this submission to one another or mutually subjecting ourselves to one another in some form or fashion 32 times in his writings, which is more times than he talks about justification by faith alone. And we hang our entire Christianity on justification by faith alone, as we should, and yet Paul talks about this more. It doesn't mean it's more important. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's just clear that Paul thought it was pretty important for us to get this, for us to know that we must commit to serving others above ourselves. And I want to ask you, what would that do in this room? If everyone in here truly lived this and truly gave of themselves in honor or in respect of others to subject themselves to the needs and wants of others, what would that do just in the people in this room? How might the dynamic change here? But even more than that, how might this increase our witness to the city of Bowling Green? When people in our circles that may not ever set foot in this room, but they see us putting aside our own preferences because the world doesn't do that. Look out for number one, right? You got you to do what you want to do. 
How might this draw them into loving the very God that perfectly exemplifies that as we point to Him as the reason why we are doing it? And here's the thing, I want to... It was actually very encouraging to me this week because I was thinking through how can I kind of give handles to this. And I thought of so many examples of people in this church doing this that I literally had to cut, just cut some of them out. But I think of people like Chris Dindy who comes to teach a, a Bible study at Program Living once every other week. That dude has a doctorate or the equivalent thereof. Like, he could be called doctor in this room. And I mean, anybody can be called doctor, but it would actually apply to him. Like, and yet he comes and teaches guys that may not even be Christians, but at the very best are pretty brand new Christians. And he has to teach them as they ask him questions. Trevor Ayers, spending his time doing something he normally gets paid to do for free, trying to find this church a more permanent home, a more permanent house for us to meet in. Uh, I didn't even know what meal trains were until I joined this church. Now I can probably set one up, run it, do it like a fantasy football commissioner. You go here, you do the casserole. Meal train after meal train in this church. This is the Beesons coming to the pastors and asking, how can we serve the youth of this church? I don't know if anybody's noticed this. We don't have a youth group. I don't know that we'll ever have a youth group because God is in control of that. But we want people pouring into our youth. And the Beesons have stepped up and said, how can, how can we serve in that way? How can we open our home to do that? How can we do this? Stay tuned. That's coming, by the way. We'll, we'll get all the details of that. This is Laura Baker, who's not here this morning. And I don't need, didn't even ask her permission if I could say this. But watching Ryan York once a week or once every other week for a night so that Adam and Megan York can go out on a date night. That's... Mike and Cynthia Llewellyn volunteering at Hope House longer than I've even worked there. This is Alan Bullard serving in so many different roles that I forget all the things that he even does at Hope House in his retirement. He could just be sitting at home drinking lemonade all day. This is the Flanders hosting everything short of like carnival rides at their house like every other week it seems like because they bought a house but here's the thing. Why'd they buy that house? I don't know if this is the whole reason, but they considered we could use that space downstairs for Mission Church stuff before they bought it. This, this is putting aside our own wants, our own preferences. This list could go on. I'm, I'm serious. I could go on and on and on about examples. Setup teams giving of their Saturdays. It, you know, setup used to be done on Sunday mornings also, which means people had to get up uber early to get here because you got to have enough time to set it up. That's how we got so good at doing it so quick. It's because we were like, well, if we're going to get up in the morning, I'm sleeping. Pastor Eric is up at like 3.30, but everybody else was sleeping in. But even further than that, and God's sovereignty yesterday was a perfect example. Because I'm going to be honest, this week, woo, y'all just come ask me for the stories, and me and Brian will team up and try to come up with a way to explain to you what happened at Hope House this week. So I was behind yesterday. I had to come do setup. We had a men's event that I attended uh, earlier that morning from about 6, 6.30 to 11. Uh, it was great, by the way. I uh, hope they do that again in the future, uh, and I hope all the men in this room can come. Um, but they were supposed to use our church stuff for sound and all that stuff, we, and we told them, yeah, that's fine. We'll bring it out there to you. Friday before the, the, the meeting was scheduled for Saturday morning, we... 
I didn't go, but Adam, York, and Brian roll out there with the trailer and all our stuff, and they were like, oh, yeah, we forgot to tell you, never mind, we don't actually need any of your stuff. Well, I'd already planned my setup team around having to tear down our stuff, get it back in the trailer, bring it back over here. So I had scheduled out past the time of the event. Well, since that didn't happen, I didn't have my wife's car to pull the trailer. Plans were falling apart a little bit. So I went to Adam York and I said, hey, you got your truck with you. Can you just go get the trailer real quick and drop it off at the school and you go? I was just going to come in here by myself and get a head start. I wasn't trying to undercut anyone's service or anything. I just didn't have anywhere else to go because, again, we had planned around it. So we get here. I wanted and expected Adam to just drop the trailer and go home. We were all tired. We had worked hard this week. I never once asked him to stay. He never once asked me, do you need me? Do you want me to stay? Any of those things. I just looked up an hour later, and that brother's still here working. He still, he, I think he set up every cord that you see here by himself because I was doing other things. Adam Hammonds and Matt Flanders showed up to set up, and they were like, how long have y'all been here? Like, we, we set up the chairs, and we pretty much rolled out. Now, again, that was not planned. Adam had other things he could be doing. But I cannot tell you, again, after the week we had, how huge of a blessing it was for him to just set up the sound equipment for me without being asked. So I sent him a text later and told him how big of a blessing that was to me for this week, considering I had to preach this week. Thanks, one, for the sermon illustration, but also just thank you for your help. And he said, and I quote, you would have done the same for me, but you're welcome. Didn't need a gift card, didn't need Starbucks, didn't need any of these things. He was just doing it. Now, I'm appreciative of every person that sacrifices time to do setup. I really, truly am. This church could not happen on Sundays without that. It, and I mean that wholeheartedly. But those are scheduled. Those are signed up for, right? Teams know when they're going and all of those things. This was something different. This was submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Adam's been sick all week. He's had a rough time at Hope House, and that brother needed a nap. He was telling me the whole time, I'm going to go home and take a nap. So it wasn't mutually beneficial either. He knew he wasn't even going to be here this morning. He's not even getting to hear the fruits of his labor this morning. This is submitting to Christ in motion. So what does mutual submission mean? These are examples I've given you. Here's the thing. I can't narrow that list down to, okay, if we just do these ten things, we're good to go. We've mutually submitted to one another. Because the list is thousands of different things. That will all change if we do get a church home. It may change if we stay here because we may set it up differently or we may do this or we may do that. So it's always an ever-changing list of exact practical things to do. But in general, it means willing to be leased. It means willing to wash feet. It means being ready to prefer others ahead of ourselves. I'd rather wash feet than do that. And I hate feet. My wife doesn't even get her feet washed. But to prefer others over ourselves... That I don't even, like, saying it makes me kind of like, Ugh, I don't like, I, I don't joyfully do that on my own. I have to have the Spirit to do this. It means doing nothing from selfish ambition, but from humility. It means not being self-assertive and insisting on getting your own way, but placing ourselves at others' disposal and serving one another in whatever they are needed. In short, it is putting your pride to the side. 
Romans 12, we'll talk about it in a second as well, but it is not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, which is, we all know the, the arrogant person that we can think of, but that's every person in this room. Every human being that's ever lived has probably thought more highly of themselves than they ought at least once, if not constantly. This is what it means. It means doing without having to be asked. It means asking, how can I serve you? How can I serve your family? Even when it's not convenient. Even when it's not scheduled. Even when it's spur of the moment. And many times we have to understand this is a thankless endeavor. I mean, you may get a text. That's what Adam got yesterday. You may get something. But you're not going to get pomp and circumstance out of this. You're not going to get some over, overly overt recognition. This is just doing. This is just going out of your way to serve others and not care what you get in return. And I don't, I'm not, again, I'm, I'm not diving into this. But just imagine if you did this at home. Husbands, wives. If you walked through the door, husbands, men, if you came home from work or whatever you did that day, and I don't even care if your wife's a stay-at-home mom or not, doesn't matter. She's doing stuff too, regardless whether she's working out in the workforce or she's working probably harder at home. But imagine if you came home from work and instead of sitting on the couch and going, I need an hour or I need 30 minutes to just lay your stuff down and go, how can I serve you? I got the kids. You go sit down. You go take 30 minutes. You go take an hour and you tell me how I can serve you best in this moment. And please hear me. I am not telling you this because this is how Justin comes home every day. Because it's not. But it should be. It should be, how can I serve you? How can I best serve you in this moment, in this time, in this season? Now imagine if we did that here at our church. Because let's state the obvious. We don't mind doing this sometimes. Setup teams are scheduled months in advance. All of these kinds of things. We don't mind doing this when we deem people that deserve it. Right? Or when they've earned it, even though we would never sell them, they have to earn it. We kind of keep a tally in our head, right? Or, when it can be mutually beneficial. You watch my kids this week, I'll watch your kids next week. I'm not saying don't do that. That's awesome. Please, please do that. It'll give parents the freedom of date nights. But that's just a trade. That's the barter system. Right? That's Lewis and Clark's Oregon Trail. Right? You barter something and you, you get something out of it. It's mutually beneficial. The problem here, though, is in this sentence, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, there is no caveat. There is no disclaimer. There is no exclusions. There is no exceptions. It does not say that we are to submit to those who also submit to us. It does not say on good days. It does not say when they've earned it. It does not say I'll do it once for them, but if they don't do it in return, I ain't offering again. It just says do it. Be filled with the Spirit and submit to one another because of that filling of the Spirit. We don't want to do this because we think some way it lessens our value, it lessens our dignity. I am more valuable than it. I hear this all the time at the program Living House. Well, I'm not doing that. Are you going to pay me to do that? Uh, yes, by your lunch later is your payment. But it's 
This is what is warned against in Romans 12, thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, that something is beneath you or something shouldn't be expected of you. In John 13, and we don't have time to go into this in great detail at all, but we see Jesus doing something extremely radical. And frankly, it's a little bit gross too, but that's beside the point. We see him wash the disciples' feet. And we've discussed this before, so I won't go into great detail, but just imagine someone running around a livestock farm in flip-flops all day, and then you've got to wash their feet. That's, in essence, what we're talking about here. It's nasty. Feet are nasty in 2018. Feet are real nasty 2,000 years ago. Okay? I, and yet, Jesus, the king of the universe, who created the feet and the stuff on the feet, bows down on the floor, on his knees, and washes their feet. In no way is that mutually beneficial. In no way did Jesus get anything out of that from a practical standpoint. But in verse 15, Jesus says this, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. This is an example we are to live by. Now, I know there is a lot of theological truths that we are skipping over right now as to what Jesus was doing in that moment. Again, we don't have time. But I tell you, we are to submit in that way. We are to do the things that are beneath us or that we don't want to do or that are gross or nasty. We are to submit in this way. And I want to ask you a question. I really want you to think about this. Because the next time something comes up and you think it's beneath you, was Jesus still God when he washed his disciples' feet? This means yes, this means no. Absolutely. If he was still God, that means this act that was absolutely beneath him did not in any way, not one iota, lessen his value, lessen his dignity. So if doing so didn't lessen Jesus' dignity, why do we somehow think serving in humility and expecting nothing in return will somehow lower ours? When he absolutely didn't deserve to have to do that, we just feel like we shouldn't have to do that. But I want to show you something even more. It's not that Jesus' dignity wasn't lessened, or it's not just that, that's true, but turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2. It's probably one page to the right. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. We see some of these thoughts echoed. Verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Ouch. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Break. So again, we see similar commands. We are to humble ourselves, count others more significant than ourselves, look to the interests of others, look to the preferences of others, look to the needs, the wants, the desires of others before our own. At the end, we are also reminded that the reason this is even possible is because we are in Christ Jesus. What's another way of saying you are in Christ Jesus? You are filled with the Spirit. Those two things are synonymous. Someone filled with the Spirit is also in Christ Jesus. So therefore, we are there, then empowered to do so. It goes on, verse 6. So in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see here Jesus, the God of the universe, the eternal God who was there at creation. We see him taking the form of a servant. No one does that willingly. Servants are made. They are forced. That is what, what the word means. You are in servitude to someone else. No one just does that with nothing to gain from it from a natural standpoint. It has to be a supernatural thing. Yet Jesus here took upon human form to be the least of these so that we might be saved through his suffering and sacrifice. This is what then enables us to serve in humility is looking at how Jesus did it. But then something very interesting is said. This is hit me like a ton of bricks this week. Because the next verse has that interesting word in it. It says, therefore. I love that word because it's an instant sermon. Because you can just preach what's before it and what's after it. And that's, that's what you do. But it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word therefore means for this reason. So not in spite of what Jesus did by humbling himself, but because Jesus was willingly, willingly served instead of being served. That's the reason God highly exalted him. There was no way around it. If Jesus was going to be highly exalted as Lord and Savior, that's the pathway he had to take. Now, he had to take it because that's the way God set it up. But he had to endure that. It is, this was his God-ordained pathway to greatness, not just something he had to tough his way through. This was something he had to do. Therefore, because of this, God exalted his name above all other names. So why is it that we think we can be exalted without traveling down a similar road? Why do we think we get the easy path? Submission is hard. Yeah, I'm aware. Jesus had to do it to be exalted. So why shouldn't we have to do the hard things to be exalted? God will exalt us. The very same way he exalted Jesus. Now the key to that is understanding that we're not going to be exalted prosperity gospel style. Because that's what we want to hear. Oh, well, if we serve and we submit and we do these things that we can be exalted like Jesus? Yeah, and it may happen the day you die or the day Jesus comes back. And that may be literally the only time that it happens. But yes, if we submit ourselves, if we make less of ourselves and more of him, that is our pathway to exaltation. That is our pathway to blessing. And again, I ain't talking about earthly blessings. Making much of Jesus in our lives is the pathway to be blessed by God in eternity. It is putting ourselves as less than his glory. But if you look back at John 13 after washing his disciples' feet, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Again, too many times we read that and go, all right, blessings are coming my way. And the blessing may be more turmoil because God is teaching you in, in and through the trial and tribulation that you've got. We can't read this with an Americanized prosperity gospel point of view. God will bless us. 
But God will bless us in His plan the way He has promised to bless us if we will live in submission to Him and to others to make much of Him. If you really truly want to be blessed by God, then pray along with John 3.30 that He must increase and we must decrease. Continually and genuinely pray, and this is extremely difficult to do in a genuine sense, genuinely pray that as you live this out that people would truly see ever decreasing amounts of you and ever increasing amounts of Jesus because here's the thing we want at least some of the credit we may give it to God oh God be the glory but I did some of it right I helped I bolstered his work I helped him along where he was falling short but yeah God yeah sure to God be the glory but me too Ever decreasing amounts of us and ever increasing amounts of Jesus. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. You see, the key to being able to do this continually and persevere in it is viewing it this way. It is not viewing it as in a humanitarian way. That dwindles. It is not viewing it in, I'm serving others for their sake, for their glory, for their help. I'm not saying you kick that out. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. But that can't be the only reason because eventually that person is going to make you mad or irritate you or aggravate you, and then you're not going to want to do these things anymore. I read a quote this week. It said, Relationships do not cause issues. They usually simply reveal issues that were lying dormant in our hearts. That's not 100% true. Sometimes relationships do bring them about. But many times you get in a relationship with somebody and it's simply revealing the pride, the selfishness, the, the things that are in your heart that you should have got rid of a long time ago. This person just is the person that came along and brought it to your attention. But if that is true, and I believe it mostly is, it's simply not sustainable to submit to one another for their sake or because you want to be nice or because you want to... It has to be spirit-infused. It has to be because you are filled with the Spirit. So why do we do it? Ephesians 5.21 says, Out of reverence for Christ. Out of the awe we see in God Himself taking the form of a servant, not to be served, but to serve. Submitting to one another and living out Christianity, this is so key, means we are so in awe of and overwhelmed by Jesus that anyone even connected or associated with him gets the overflow of our humility, our kindness, our love, our submission. Because remember, this is written to a church. This doesn't mean we have to submit. Now, there's a, there's a whole sermon in this. This is not talking about submitting to non-believers and the world and all of these things. Again, there's a sermon in there as well. But this particular text in context is talking about a church family other Christians submitting to other Christians. Submitting to one another and living out Christianity means we are so in awe and overwhelmed by Jesus that anyone even connected or associated with him gets the overflow of our humility, kindness, and submission. So we are doing it for Jesus, because of Jesus, in reverence to Jesus, not, for just, not just for the other person. It can't be viewed as just that or it will dwindle. Every single time. It is a God-given opportunity to be more like Jesus. And this is how we change the connotation of the word submit from negative to positive. It's no longer a chore. It is worship. 
It's no longer something we have to do. It's something we get to do because this makes us more like Jesus. We submit not because God's agenda is to remove irritation, to ease relationships, to teach us a lesson, to be blessed, or to pay it forward. All of those things can be included, sure. But we submit because God's agenda is to make us look more and more and more and more like Jesus. That is his agenda for your life, is to make you look more like Jesus so that you will then point to Jesus in your life so that then other people will love Jesus as well because they see Jesus working in you. God has to save them. Spirit has to fill them. But we live this out so that they see that and have the opportunity for that to happen. We are called into this mission out of reverence for him. Begin asking, how can I serve you? How can I serve your family? How can I serve my wife or husband? How can I serve my pastors? I know that sounds, I get it. But how can I serve people in a tough season of their life? But how can I do this out of worship for Jesus who's already done it more perfectly than me? So how do we do this? Filled with the Spirit, keeping aside our pride, kicking that out as best we can, relying on the Spirit to do that for us. Why do we do it? Because it is a pathway to be more like Jesus and to make much more of Him. You see, the most humbling example of submission in history happened to the person that deserved it least on the cross. And it was done so to save sinners, to reconcile us back to God. It was so grace could then be extended to us because the sacrifice had been made and the punishment had been divvied out when we rightly view ourselves in light of the cross and that it was our sin of pride and our sin of selfishness that made that necessary, it should be very easy for us to show grace abundantly, to serve humbly, to subject ourselves to those that are at best equal to us. And in most cases, we think mentally that they're a little bit lower than us because we still fall prey to Romans 12 thinking more highly than we ought of ourselves. But when we view it in light of the cross, Oh, how humble you become. Because Jesus deserved that the least. And he gave himself. A hymn that you have definitely heard if you grew up in church at all. Written by Isaac Watts. He's written many hymns you've probably sung in your whole life. But it says this in the very opening lines. It says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. So all those things you feel good about, all those things that are keeping you from being humble, from subjecting yourselves to one another because they don't deserve it, or I deserve better, may we view that and place our eyes firmly on the cross of Jesus. May we look at the cross of Jesus every time we think anything resembling that remark of I don't deserve this or that's beneath me or they don't deserve it or I'm not going to do that today, may we firmly look at the cross and see the, the God of the universe submitting himself, becoming like a servant to give us, one, an example, but two, a pathway to be more like him. It is no longer a chore. It is worship. So may we live to make much of Jesus. May we live to make little of ourselves. It's not about us. It is about Jesus. It is about his cross. It is about the cross that makes all of this possible. So may we go and submit to one another out of reverence for that Jesus. Pray with me.
Father, I pray you forgive me for being a hypocrite this morning and preaching a sermon that I don't live by, but I pray it breaks my heart so much that I begin living filled with your spirit in submission to others. I pray for everyone in this room that we would truly view life in light of, in the shadow of the cross. Every inch of our lives, may we view it from that perspective, at the foot of the cross, knowing that it was our sin that placed you there. And yet, you humbly serve us in coming to live a life you did not deserve. To die the death that we deserved in our place. So may we rejoice when we get to be more like you. May it bring us joy when you are growing us in submission. May the connotation of this word forever be changed in our minds because of what you did on the cross. And as we tend to forget that, may you remind us lovingly and graciously each and every time. And may we do so so that we can point others to the very same cross so that they can come to know you as Lord and Savior of their lives. So you can save them, so your spirit can fill them, so that they can go and submit and carry this on and on and on. May we know that to go up, we must go down. May you increase, may we decrease, in Jesus' name, amen. This morning as we turn our time to uh, communion, and just do exactly that, is keep our eyes on the cross. As we, turn our, as we go to the tables, as we eat this meal, may we remember that our sin is what made this necessary. And yet, out of the love, grace, and mercy of God, He sent Jesus. So the payment that we are, was required of us, He paid Himself. So may we look to that this morning. May that spur us on out of here so that we can go proclaim this message to a lost and dying world. But may we never take that for granted. May we always be reminded of the cross. And may this be a staunch reminder as we leave this place. I'm going to pray one more time. Uh, take a moment, pray, whatever, we're going to sing a song. But take a moment and, and truly consider the cross. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the cross of Christ. Thanking you for Jesus being willing to submit himself in this way because we know that there is no other name by which we must be saved. And there is no other way for this to be carried out. So may we be bold in that. May we know that to be true. Just pray you would remind us in here who are believers. of what you did on the cross to save us, what it took to save us. And may we be forever thankful for that in all walks of our, of our lives, in every inch of our lives. May we not take this for granted. If there's anyone in here that does not have a relationship with you that is not saved, I pray you save them as only you can. May you fill them with your spirit. And may they know that what you started in them, you will finish, you will bring to completion on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, go boldly and proclaim this gospel to a lost and dying world. We love you. 
we thank you. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.